especially if it's the rut, I'm like, man, that, that buck's there now. Like, he's probably not going to be there tomorrow. Like, go, go. You know, like, who cares if you screw it up? Hello, welcome to the Hoyt Bowhunting Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Bolin, and today I actually have co-host Evan Williams from Hoyt Corporate here today. So Evan and I are good friends, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun talking whitetail hunting today with Chris Seymour from Kansas. So Chris, just I'm going to give a tiny intro, and then I'd like Chris to introduce himself, but... Chris is actually, it's very interesting. Not only, you know, he's, a, he's an avid hunter himself. Actually, he has even a TV show, uh, Team 200. I mean, he's, he, he kills giant bucks. But he's an outfitter as well. So he's bringing other people out to experience Kansas and big whitetail hunting. But he's also a real estate agent that specializes in hunting properties. So, I mean, this guy, every part of his life centers around whitetail hunting. Chris, you're kind of boring, dude. Is that all you do, whitetail hunt? <laughs> Hey, good to have you on, man. Tell us about yourself. Like, what, what else? Do you, what else do you do? Real quick, before we get into the good stuff. Well, there's, there's definitely family first, so always trying yeah. to, to balance family, hunting, and work. But, but there's no doubt the work is all networking, whether it's outfitting, real estate, um, or doing some TV stuff, and really just managing relationships with with other people and, and building on that. But I've been fortunate to have a, a great group of core hunters that come out every year and hunt. And then obviously that, that leads to other opportunities with the real estate. I help other people manage some properties. So it's, it's a big networking thing going on here. And, and I absolutely love it and have a passion for it. Well, I got to admit, I'm jealous. I mean, it sounds amazing. There, people always ask, people ask me, you know, I hunt, I hunt all kinds of animals. People always ask me, what's the coolest animal in North America? And I can't decide between mule deer and whitetail, but it's deer. Deer are amazing. What were you going to say there when I cut you off? Um, well, the, the, the key thing that I did that I guess I didn't tell you was I was a, a middle school teacher for 16 years. Oh, wow. Okay. One to 2016, uh, 17, I guess. And so even while I was teaching, I was still doing the outfitting stuff and managing time. Well, I'm sure, yeah. You, you had your side hustle that became your real hustle. Yes, yes. Because it was cutting yeah. into his personal hunting time. And, and that's also yeah. started the – I was teaching kids to edit in a technology class. And next thing I know, I'm editing hunting videos and getting into the whole video thing. Do you do your editing for, for Team 200? I don't. We use Dave Voise with Hidden Thicket Productions. He's, he's in – Okay. But he's a great guy. But I do a We Outdoors YouTube channel, and I like doing my own personal edits because you, a lot of the hunting shows, you know, it's taking a two-hour hunt and making it one minute. <laughs> and I like right. showing the actual hunt from start to finish more. So if you, and that's what YouTube is for. If you want to actually watch a hunt from start to finish, and you got the time to do it, you can skip through what you want. It kind of helps. So. Yeah, I mean, I I see YouTube and social actually going the other way, where they're taking a show that would be 25 minutes on the Outdoor Channel and making it three or four minutes. Sometimes, right? I guess there's you can take it both ways. You yeah, know. You, you know how it is. Some but, people just want the kill yeah. shot. Let me just fast forward to the kill shot. Some people want to see actually <laughs> how it's done. You know. So. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, so so um, tell us. So you you hunt mostly eastern Kansas, right? Because you know, this is important. A lot of people, when they think of Kansas, they think of, you know, flat, 
uh, you know, treeless ag fields with little wooded draws and things like that, like in Western Kansas, but Eastern Kansas, it's very much like the Midwest, right? Oh, definitely. It is. I've got a variety of Creek bottoms. You've got hilly overgrown pastures, um, you know, CRP native planted. I mean, it's everything big timber. Some guys want to hunt big timber. Um, but there's there's definitely open spaces if you want it, big crop fields. But, you know, you can always find that thick cover if you need to go to it. So it's it's definitely way more treed in northeast Kansas for sure. OK. All right. So how do you do, do you approach approach your whitetail hunting um, in a similar fashion to most Midwest whitetail hunting? I mean, tell, tell us some of your philosophies. Like like right now, for example, I mean, it's, it's a pre-rut. I mean, we're, we're filming this podcast during the pre-rut. Um, what, are you, what are you doing right now? What are you doing to find your deer? And are you hunting right now? Um, well, it, I've definitely transitioned. I, I like hunting mature deer. I, I don't – honestly, I don't care if it's 150 or 200 or – I mean – just a big giant mature buck, you know, a dominant buck, right. you could say. And that's, that's kind of the goal. But right now it's, it's the scrapes are really, really heating up. And uh, we've got some, some new, you know, a lot of the new trail cameras that do video mode. And it's just really neat to get as many of those out on scrapes that you think are going to produce some sweet video and kind of take, yeah. in, take an inventory on scrapes, you know, and a lot of times, you know, the corn's coming down. The more corn that comes down, the more them bucks leave them fields and they're starting to get into those big, heavier, thicker, you know, pieces that you can hunt. But the problem with some of the scrapes is, you know, a lot of guys are, are checking those boundary scrapes on the edges of the crop fields. But really, right. if you can find those community scrapes that are deeper in the cover. Deeper. Yeah, deeper in the cover, right? And, and those are those are hard to find. Are, so, do you have scrapes that that you have been watching for years? Or are you out every year looking for new scrapes on the same ground? It, it's definitely both, but there's no doubt you got the same scrapes. At UK, you just know this one's going to turn on just a matter of right. any day, and you know, and it usually happens. But yeah, they there's some that I've noticed. I've accidentally left some trail cameras out that you forget about it. And you come around turkey season, you're like, oh, I forgot I had that on that scrape. And it's amazing how they pound that scrape even after they shed those antlers. And they're still hitting those things January, February, March, April. Interesting. Interesting. And yeah. it, it seems yeah. like it finally stops when the beans and corn start popping and their food really changes. Right. But they want to know who's in the area. They want it. It's one of the ways they communicate. It's like, it's like text messaging for deer, right? For sure. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> and when you start, so does start checking those same scrapes. It's like, okay, you know, things are, things are starting. Right. Right. So do you actually hunt scrapes? I mean, do you put a stand over a scrape and, and you hunt that or are you, you hunting, uh, the travel routes that are between scrapes or how are you doing it? Um, well, Honestly, my, my hunting usually starts, I would say, the weekend before Halloween. And, and really, I'm just patiently waiting for that rutting-type activity. Um, that's the more exciting hunting. In, in Kansas, our deer are very callable. You know, they have to – we have 180s busted up. Like, they got to compete. It's not a numbers game usually, but we have quality. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you, if you rattle, snort, wheeze, or grunt at a deer, usually they're going to respond. And So at the end of October, you find that effective? 
yeah, it's like all that's yeah. starting to take place. But once you get into sort of like the peak late rut, is it less effective? I'm I'm guessing, right? Well, it, it the late rut, it definitely you see the transition of wandering bucks looking for those last does, and they're beat up, but they still can't resist a fight. But then they start transitioning okay. back onto the food big time, like around Thanksgiving. They start trying to build. Gotcha. Well, yeah, that late for sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So so back to the scrapes then. How are you, you know, you, you find these great scrapes. You're taking inventory of your bucks. You're probably getting a lot of nighttime activity, right? Um, are you, do you find it effective to hunt these things? Well, that that's just it. I think those scrapes in those closer to the core bedding areas, those are the ones where those you ones. catch them coming from gotcha. the food back to the transition, hitting those scrapes and going to bed. But the problem usually becomes with that is access. You know, how are you going to get in there? Yeah. You know, because usually it's thicker areas. So, you know, obviously access is everything to, to get in. Especially in the morning. Yes. Yes. Now, especially in the morning. And the evening's a little easier because if they're in bed and you know where they're bedded, I mean, you can approach that stand. But that morning, that morning approach is really tough. Oh, it's, it's, it's definitely. But again, if you're in those bedding areas, you might leave a little scent trail behind, which is, you know, we'll use some like Evercalm on the boots or, uh, any type of uh, drag rag or scrape lure. I've been playing around with more of raw frozen scents, some stuff, you know, some more mock scent stuff, scent stuff. So I've been putting that out as well to, to create movement. And it seems to be working too. I've never really was a scent guy, but I wanted to do more with scrape hunting the last three years. And it's, it mm-hmm. seems to be effective. And, and it's another way, because I self video a lot of my hunts. You know, if you got a buck passing through and you want to stop them, creating that mock scrape out, putting some scent out, you know, it'll put them where you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you're making scrape, you're making your own scrapes, and and you're finding that effective. I'm doing both. I'm. What's that? I'm doing doing both. both. Yeah. Sometimes it's just you know natural scrapes which you like, and you might make a a mock scrape next to it, you know. But there's no there's no doubt that when you start experimenting with scents, you, you could have that risk of oh maybe this isn't right and the buck you know silently turns sure. and goes the other way but i definitely like stopping them where you want them and a scrape helps does you know it'll help do that basically yeah yeah okay very interesting are you you know one of the things that i always hesitate on i'd love to get your opinion is i hesitate on just exploring the woods too much you know, I, I just, and you know, the time to do that. I mean, it's shed season. That's, that's why I love shed hunting. Yeah. Cause that's the time you just go wherever you want. You don't care. And, and that's when, that's when I try and bank and log in like, Oh, I need to be here next October. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, you're finding scrapes that they're going to use again next year or whatever. Yes. So you're, you're doing your, you're doing your work, you know, a year in advance really. You really are, and you can see those when you walk into those rub lines too that are definitely in a bedding area where it was it was hot, like it was September October yeah. bedding right when they shed. It's like okay, they're they're living here, you know, September October. <clears throat> so I want to get on the edge of that, you know, and and try and and try and get something. If you want to try and get one down early, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah, that so so what's let's go through a kind of a year-round calendar then. 
Like what, you know, what, what you do to, I mean, the, you're, you're a professional, right? I mean, you, you have your outfitting business. You're, you like, I love to learn from a guy like you during shed hunting season. That's what are you saying? Like February, March. Um, actually depending on how beat up the buck is and yeah, it, it can start, you know, mid January. And uh, so you're wanting to do it as soon as possible after after the, because then things are going to look more like they looked yeah and and there's no doubt that if you if you know they're still packing some big headgear you don't want to dive in there and blow stuff out so they shed somewhere else you know so right 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 yeah if the big one loses its antlers and you're kind of onto it you're like i'm going in i want to find that you know but yeah. Okay. So it's more about the sheds than than finding scrapes and and rub lines and trails and it's multitasking for sure. When you yeah, get to finally yeah. go into those areas that you stayed out of, it, it's like a Disneyland moment. You're like walking in there. Nice. Oh, this is what's going on, and this is what's going on. Yeah. And it's it's so enjoyable. So how do you identify the areas that that it, let's say you have a new piece of property? I mean, it's, it's one thing, you know, you're hunting a piece of property that you've hunted for 10 years or something. You've really got things figured out, but in a new piece of property, how do you identify which areas you want to go into and stay out of? Well, it's funny that you say that because I am not the guy that likes to go back to the same tree over and over and over. To me, part of the the journey is, and and I, I am fortunate whether buying land or selling land or leasing land, I have opportunities to hunt other stuff, but that's, that's part of the whole, you know, cliche chess match. I I like going into a new property saying, Oh, I think they're doing this, doing that, figuring it out. And then that helps me. If I got a a hunter that comes in, I know where to go, where to put them. You know, they don't have as much time as me to hunt, whatever. So, so part of my scouting is learning new properties and, and hunting them along the way, figuring it out, fine-tuning it and going on. Last year, I had just purchased a new 80-acre property and it it took two hunts to figure out, oh, we need to be there. Put a stand there, first cold north wind, and boom, I killed a a great buck hitting a scrape, you know, and grunted them right in. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So do you, like when you're you're looking at, so a brand new piece of property, do you get on satellite imagery – and look for thicker spots and try to imagine where these bucks might be bedding and then start scouting the perimeter or do you want to have do you want to have access to that property like you said february to walk it and figure it out uh what if what if you're you just get access to the property and you know hey i've got the summer to scout it and i'm going to be hunting it this fall how would you go about doing that without messing it up well, and that's kind of like what's happened to me on, on a new 40 that I'm looking at. Um, and, you know, summer is, is just a jungle and, and it's just totally different. But there's no doubt you start with the satellite imagery. You're looking at, OK, I think they're coming from here. On this particular property, I have more food, more crops, and I've got these mm-hmm. transitional fingers. So I can't I don't really have the bedding, but I'm like I'm next mm-hmm. to the bedding. So I know where they're going to come out. And that, that makes it yeah. almost easier. And then uh, it, it's it's just these fingers coming out. So it's it's just like, yeah, you start with the satellite. You look at that. When you go there, that can be like, oh, I didn't realize it looked like this from the aerial. And then the next right. thing I start looking for is trees, access, and wind. 
I mean, the wind obviously is everything. You got to fool their nose with the white tail. And so I'm, I'm looking yeah. at wind and tree setups and then how am I going to get to that stand? So, so are you looking for your, your, uh, stand setups for North wind stand setups for South wind predominantly, uh, Kansas, doesn't Kansas actually mean land of the South wind? <laughs> it, I've, I've heard that the, the word Kansas, I heard the word Kansas translated back to whatever native American, it, it's actually the land of the South wind. Is that true? Well, there's some truth to that. There's no doubt, but I get that. What's the predominant wind? And it's like, man, if you come to Kansas for a week, I don't care when it is. Usually you get it all. And, and the most yeah. unappreciated wind that you overlook is an east wind. And it's always on the edge of a front mm-hmm. or whatever. You get that east wind if it's going to be rainy. And guys don't prepare for those east winds. Like, man, I'm set up for all these west winds, you know. So it, you definitely, as far as the predominant wind, yeah, it's a roller coaster of weather. And you know if it's going to be 60s, yeah. it's probably south winds. And then you get those two days of north winds and you love it, you know. But, but you got to be prepared for all directions. So when I go into a new property, it's like you said north winds and south winds you got to have them both and then you know if it's really going to be out of the east you know northeast or southeast what are you going to do you know is, are those north and south winds right. work for that so yeah so you, you try to set up stands for every situation i imagine yeah and, and that that can be that can be tough sometimes and sometimes you're like you know what yeah and sometimes you're just not going to hunt a buck on given winds yeah yeah and, and, or a prop- I mean, obviously this, yeah this this, this yeah. side of the this property i'm not going in unless it's a north wind you know, and I've yeah. actually got one that mm-hmm. right now that I, I'm really excited to hunt on a scrape on a north wind on Monday. We're supposed to get a cold front. So it's like you got, you got a, a good picture there. I, you have a big buck. Actually, I don't. I've got I've got history and I got this scrape that I just know that they're going to come through and it's starting to heat okay. up. I've got. a Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to the mystery buck. You know, sometimes it's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's great not knowing, but if the scrape is heat. So you do have a camera on the scrape, I'm sure. Right. But you're just, as things mix up with the rut, you feel like this is a spot where anybody could show up. Yes. Yes. And last year, yeah, right on. you know, multiple bucks in and out of this, this new farm. So I'm kind of excited about it, but I've got, I've, is this a scrape you made or a natural scrape? Both. I've got a mock scrape. Okay. They're like five yards from each other. So. Okay, nice. And you find do you find that do you, do you do you at times do mock scrapes where there's no other scrape around? For sure, yeah, and that's yeah, and and but you, you're also saying you'll put one right next to an existing scrape, and what's the point of that? Why not add to it or add some scent to the one that's already there? Well, it, it's I guess you could say it's that that confidence factor. Like this one's going. Do I want to taint it? <laughs> yeah so it's like I, I sometimes i do both sometimes i do i just put it right in but another technique we'll use is you know pound a, a fence post in and use those scrape sticks and you can yep. put a branch in it and put the scrape yep. exactly where you want it for the shot so that's when, right when you definitely make the mock scrapes too so and that could be in the middle sure. of, of a food plot or something you know if you want to bring them out to the edge of the field yeah yeah so what what steps do you take to make to build your mock scrapes? What have you found works the best? You know, obviously you look for uh, basically I'm basing it around the uh, the stand more than anything, like the shot shot opportunities, mm-hmm. and you know I like mm-hmm. to keep it out 
20, 25 yards, you know, nothing real tight. And, uh, you know, just, just do the same thing. You, you put, get the leaves out, you know, whatever tool you're going to yeah. use, a, a rake or whatever. And, and then, you know, pour some scent in there and, and just let it get a camera on it and see if they start firing up on it. And, so what, what type of scents you mentioned a couple earlier, what, it, what are you using recent, you know, in recent, like what do you have the most confidence in right now? Well, right now we're using the, the raw frozen scents, which, you know, comes straight out of the animals and they, yeah, right. and they ship it to you. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. And, and I've been playing around with those. You get it out of the freezer and you thaw it out and you, you use it. You know, we've also used uh, Evercalm, um, deer herd in a stick with Doug Roberts. That's always, you know, a good one we've used on decoys and uh, put on our boots. So if you got to cut a trail to get to your stand and there's nothing you can mm-hmm. do about it because of the access, um, we'll put some of that um, calming scent by raw frozen sand or ever calm on your boots and, and cut that trail. Yeah. And, and obviously you want to cut that trail to where if something does come by and they smell that they're going to stop where you can at least shoot them, you know? Mm, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're talking, uh, cutting the trail, like very close to the stand, not way out in your approach. If, if, a, if you got to walk in front of your stand to get to it instead of coming up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you're talking about in shooting range. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I got you. Um, I'll tell you another. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Technique I do this time of year is, uh, you know, we're starting to stash those buck decoys around. I mean, you get, they're starting, mm-hmm. we well, got bucks starting to show up a little busted up. So they're starting to get a little froggy on fighting. But I did kill one deer. I used a decoy in thick cover next to scrapes you know, in the timber and a lot of people put those on field edges, but I've actually killed good bucks in the woods, putting that decoy out. And it's amazing when the bucks come in and they, they see it and they're kind of freaked out at first, you know, it's kind of a surprise factor. And then they do a double take and next thing you know, ears are laid back and here they come marching in, you know, it's, Oh, that's, awesome. but that's Kansas. You know, our, our deer can't resist the fight. Yeah. So, no matter how old yeah. he is. You think that's uh, the buck doe ratio that causes that? I do, I do, and I think that's why yeah. you know sometimes it's better not to have a lot of deer, you know, if, yeah. because like I said, our deer are so aggressive. I mean, it, it's nice, it's, it's fun to hunt them that way. Obviously, they're they're breaking themselves up, which isn't the f- most fun, but that's an absolute blast to be in the woods when they're, when they're aggressive like that. Yeah, I mean we. We, I mean, we can hunt September 15th or whatever, but I, I just, and it'd be great to shoot a big deer early, you know, patterning it over feet or something, but there's just nothing like the Midwest rut. I mean, that's seeing yeah. that behavior, yeah. witnessing it up close. I mean, that's what we wait for all year. And it's such a short window. I remember that I, <clears throat> I had a seven year stretch where I leased some ground in, in Ohio. And I remember that after that, the first year and I had this, this one day in particular, I remember where I didn't see a single deer between, you know, uh, before 11 AM or after, uh, 4 PM. So it was something like that, but I ended up seeing like 40 deer and like 15 bucks or something like that, like right in the middle of the day. And it was just this unbelievable rut activity. And I remember at the end of that hunt, I spent like eight days out there or whatever. I remember I was 
I was like depressed. I was depressed that I had to wait an entire year to see that again. Yeah. It is. It's, it's, I was, I went home. I was just like, man, I was all melancholy. I was moping around the house. Like my wife said, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I have to wait a year before I can see this again. It was just, I didn't even kill a buck, but it was unbelievable being in the woods when they're acting like that. It was, it really is something special. You're right. I mean, killing a big buck, it might be easier a different time of year. I, I mean, especially if you're after a very particular buck. Once the rut starts, it's like a pinball game, right? You can't, you can't predict it. But, um, but it is special, isn't it? It is. And like I said, you could get – you might block out a week to hunt. And next thing you know, here comes a, a, a warm front. And you got 67. Yeah. And, and it, it, the rut activity is at night, and it, you just – it's like, man, you wait all year and then you have weather or something trump that. And it's just like, you talk about depressing, but, but it, you know, that's why when I have people come out, I'm like, if you can come out for like 10 days, and I know that seems like a long block and I, you know, like a four day hunt is so to, to shoot a big whitetail, you could get four days. Yeah, of you do if, you, if you block out eight to 10 days, you're going to get that roller coaster of weather and usually two or maybe three of those days are those magical days where it's like, holy, you know, it's happening around me. Look at the chasing or look at the grunting. And, and that's why you gotta, it, it's really a time thing, but man, that, like you said, exciting. And when it's over, man, it's just like another year. Here we go. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so let me ask you this about Kansas, you know, I, and, and just about your, your personal preferences. I know baiting is legal on, on private ground in Kansas and it's a really big thing. You know, I know a lot of people, especially, um, people from out of state who aren't there locally, um, scouting all the time. They, they appreciate hunting over bait because it's a little bit more predictable. It doesn't sound like you're doing that. And, and tell me about that. And, and why is that? Well, I actually, I, I do do it for, for a lot of other people. I do do it for my kids. And it is a, it is a tactic. If I still have a tag in December and I, and I usually target like a cold buck by then or something you want to take mm-hmm. out. But um, sure. there, there's no doubt baiting has, has changed the game, better or worse. Um, sometimes it's, you know, if you're trying to hunt, if you want to come hunt the rut, you know, hunt the rut. You know, it's some some guys, they, they, they want that comfort of having a corn pile 30 yards from them, 20 yards from them so they can stare at it. Maybe it'll stop the deer, but, uh, it's just not as, but they're, but they, they could still enjoy the rut in that situation. Yes. Yes. Still see the the chasing coming and maybe that'll stop the deer where they want to get a shot. But right, right, right. There's no doubt you're going to, you're going to up the challenge a little bit just by using the calling, the buck decoys. I mean, that, that's what's so, I mean, you can bait three months out of the year. So it's like, but the rut is, is a couple weeks. So why not hunt yeah. the rut? You know? Yeah. It's, it's all about right. challenge and, and what you want to do with yourself, you know? Yeah. So you, you, you enjoy the whole process though of, I mean, the idea of like, Hey, let's throw out a bait pile on this property. You don't have to dive into all the stuff we're talking about looking at scrapes, taking inventory, all these, you know, finding the bedding area and the travel routes and the things that you're doing are, you're diving into that process of, well, you know, everything we know is whitetail hunting. And, and so what is it about that process that draws you in? Well, there's no doubt if you want to get some quick inventory, put your corn out, put a camera out, 
it probably doesn't matter where it's at. The Bucks are going to find it and see what's going on. Right, right. You know, and then if if you if you want to get an even bigger baiting tactics, you figure out where you want to put that coin pile so you can get in there and hunt the right wind and shoot that big buck. But right. it, it is definitely an easy way to take inventory. Another thing that, that is effective is you're making like a bait station. And maybe you don't want to hunt over it. But it's like if you don't create, like there's some property that just don't have food. They don't have food in the area. Well, sometimes you got to compete with neighbors too. Yes. And, and that's, you know, so they're baiting or whatever. So you should have some out. Even if you're not hunting over it, it's probably smart just to keep things moving through your place. Yeah. Yeah, so those bait stations can be good to, to create the doe activity, and and maybe you know you're there to help take inventory on it, but you're hunting a couple hundred yards away, or you're still hunting the funnels and transitions, you know, doing it however you want. But it's definitely yeah. a, a huge part of of hunting now in Kansas. I mean, it's it's the next thing yeah. in Texas. There's no doubt, and it's it's right, like some right. people that's all they know. But I, I would well, I got to say, though, I really respect the I mean, not I'm not saying there's anything I don't want to get into whether baiting's right or wrong, but I respect how you approach it, how you're looking to really enjoy that that traditional Midwest white hunt. It's really cool because I've done it both ways and it's it's really fun doing it the way you're talking about. It is. And I, I feel like that's how we because I, I started t- kind of doing the guide thing about 20 years ago and, and we didn't even. Oh, wow. You've been outfitting 20 years. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And it has definitely grown into this, this thing. And and I didn't know when it was going to happen or or end because of the the tag situation, everything else with Kansas. But, but we never even the first 10 years, it it was like, you just went out and hunted. You didn't rely on the trail cameras. You didn't want to hunt a camera deer. And, And honestly, I feel like for some people it's, it's getting kind of back to that get away from the bait. Let's go hunt. Well, now we, we call it a pure hunt. Is it pure? You know, like, do you, <laughs> Oh yeah. That's a thing, huh? Is there no corn? Is there no, I don't want to hunt a camera deer. Let me just go out and hunt. And I actually did that last year and it was, it was refreshing. Like to just go. That is awesome. And, and you got to You got a field judge, a buck age, however you want, you know, score age, however you want to, you know, put the parameters from the stand at that given moment. You know, so it, yeah, yeah, it, to me, it, it, it brought some excitement back to, to how I wanted to hunt and, uh, you know, like, bro, that, that is really cool. And so tell me about that last year. Like, did you, you, I, you said you ended up killing a buck on a new piece of property. Did you kill that buck pure hunting? Yes. Yes. I, I said, no, you know, there's not going to be any bait. There's no bait stations. There's plenty of food around. I, I had good CRP cover. And, you know, I, I only hunted it three times. And the, the first two were kind of like a scout learning the property. And we, and we saw where these bucks were hanging out and went to, uh, to, to hang a set on the scrape. And it's kind of funny that you say that because this was Halloween. We had this crazy cold front, October 30th and 31st. I mean, it was like 30s. It was amazing. And that's where we went and hung a stand. I'm like, I got to get over there. I had a buddy, Rick Bonomo, that was helping me. And then I got COVID. So I was laid up for 10 days. Oh. The first 10 days of November. I went to go gut a guy's deer. Oh, man. I, I went to go gut this guy's deer. And everybody's like, oh, you know, the guy gut shot. I'm like, 
oh my gosh, you know, like it stinks and, and I couldn't smell it. And you couldn't smell it. Do you think there's any way you could give COVID to the deer so they couldn't smell us? Have you thought about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Zombie deer. It's, it's, it's happening supposedly. <laughs> but anyway, so, yeah. so that's when I realized I had COVID. And, and ironically, it was that same 10-day stretch last year, like the first through the 10. There's your south winds. It was south winds for 10 days straight. I mean, just mm-hmm. warm. And I was laid up, and I and so I waited for that first north wind to go hunt that stand on that scrape. Front came through, and I got out there a little late. Uh, well, I, I strategically got out there at nine o'clock. I said I'm going to sit all day from nine on. I slept in, wanted to get my strength. You know, I was recovering from COVID. Yeah, yeah. And got in that stand, and I didn't see. I bu- I busted a buck off the scrape on the way in, like a three year old. I'm like, great. And then I got in the stand, didn't see a deer till two, a two-year-old. I put some of that raw scent out and he smelt that and didn't like it and kind of turned and, you know, it veered his direction. I'm like, oh, I hope that doesn't happen. Then I saw this buck. Come out. So you're looking like everything's not going your way. You're sick. You get in the stand late. You, you bust a buck out. Then another one doesn't like your scent. That's great, right? What a start. North wind blowing in my face all day. And, and there he is. I look up 70 yards out. Here's a big, beautiful 10-pointer. And uh, awesome. I grunt at him. He comes right over. I video him for like four minutes just working the scrape over. And I'm like, I got to shoot this deer. So I, I put the GoPro on. So you videoed him within bow range. Yeah, but I couldn't shoot the scrape because of all the branches. So it was really oh, gotcha. neat. I went in tight. And, and I had a video camera on that scrape that was going showing him work the scrape from like a different angle. Then he comes out, okay, you know, 18 yards and I, I zip him, and it was great. He went down and, you know, oh, that's cool. That's, that is very cool. You know, the pure hunt was rewarding the scrape hunt. And it was the first time back in the tree after COVID. And I felt like it's on, you know, and it, it was just a good, yeah. No, that's, that's an absolute amazing story of like, doing doing things for the right reason doing it the different way doing it because you want to be there doing it yeah that's very very cool very cool so this year are you are you planning to try to replicate that that pure hunting experience i mean is that what you're after yes yes and in fact so we got a cold front coming monday and I'm, i'm super jacked up for all of next week we got a what we call a red moon it's going to be a great moon phase and we need to talk about the moon a little bit because I base a lot of hunting. Yeah, let's do that. I, I killed I killed uh, my buck in Kansas last year on a red moon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yep. you know, Adam Hayes told me about the, the moon, uh, Jeff Murray's moon guide 10 years ago. And I, you know, I was like, oh, this is kind of gimmicky, whatever, whatever. And I started really looking at it and studying it. And, and now it's gotten to the point where if I've got early or late season, especially clients, I'm like, I will take the moon, you know, over, over opening day or something like let's come when the moon is right. Yeah. There's no question when you're driving around and you just start randomly seeing deer out all over the place. And you're like, why is that? It's, it's either a cold front or it's probably the moon that's, that's driving those deer to, to feed a little earlier. And a lot of people think it's just the phase. It's, it's not just the phase of the moon. It's, it's, it's also I guess the gravitational pull of the moon. The position of the moon in relation to you. If it's like directly overhead, right? Yeah, over, overhead, deer under feet. You know, that's the, the, the same. Yeah. But, but you start looking at, or even on trail cams, like why is this deer there at noon? 
you know, and, and right. check, check the guy. And, and it's probably a, a full moon or something going on that those deer are moving in bedding areas a little earlier on their feet, walking around or whatever. But the moon has definitely played a big role. And this, this coming week, you watch, watch the social media, uh, a cold front and a red moon. It's just all the makings for, for Midwest deer are going to hit the ground this coming week. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You got all three. That's what I always say. If you can get all three aligned with the yeah. light, the moon, you know, and the weather. So that's, that's fantastic. Okay. So that, you know, last year was the first year I, I watched the red moon and I did see a correlation, but it's the first year I paid attention. So you've been doing it for about 10 years now and you're saying you see correlation. Oh, look, Evan joined us back. Hey, uh, Chris, I looked like Evan had some technical dis- difficulties. That's why I introduced him in the beginning. We haven't heard from him since. What's up, Evan? <laughs> nice to have you back, buddy. We're, we're talking about the red moon, Evan. So uh, Anyway, week. this weekend is going to be killer. I yeah? Guess, like, I just joined the conversation. I've actually got my moon guide open. Um, yeah, 23rd to the 28th. I mean, you're talking, what, six days of red moon activity. Right, right before, you know, pre-rut activity, cold front coming through because, yeah, I'm watching the weather at home too. So are you heading out? No. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'll be able to either, but, I mean, actually, just sitting here talking to Chris, my mind is like the gears have already started to turn. Like, how can I get out there next week? Because I, I, have, I have this antelope tag in Utah that I've just been – just grinding away and I haven't killed a goat yet. So I was planning on finishing that off next week, but man, Chris, you might screw up my antelope hunt. (laughs) Priorities, man. I'll tell you this, something that we haven't talked about that we could dive into that that I've done twice now. Um, And that's if you are in the stand this week or whenever. And a lot of people feel like the, the stand you're in that stand and it's your boots are stuck in concrete, but twice now, I've witnessed either a buck bedding up or a fight or don't be afraid if you got the wind in your favor to to put the ball in your court and make a move on that deer. Now, you you mule deer stalkers know what I'm talking about, but the same mm-hmm. thing can be true to whitetail. Them big bucks get so occupied that, uh, you know, their, their mind's not thinking about what's around them. They're either on that doe or, or whatever, and you can actually yep. – you know, if, you, if you're in a unique situation in the tree stand and you're glassing these two bucks fighting, I mean, go get down and go make something happen. You know, get the wind. You know, obviously right. get the wind right. But, I mean, people forget about that. Well, no, there's no question. Yeah, that's one thing we've talked about on some of the podcasts with Matt Palmquist is I always have a decoy in my pack just for a situation like that. If I'm up over a cornfield or hunting those transition or field edges – and I see something, either a buck out in a CRP field or bedded doe or something going on, going in and making that move. But You just, Evan, you try to get close, then you flash the decoy at him? Yep. I mean, not close, but say 150 yards and then you flash the decoy? Yeah. And again, it's situational dependent, I think. Yeah. Trying to, trying to read that buck's behavior and sure. the situation, what's going on. So. Are you using an a, a ultimate predator decoy? I've got a couple of different ones. I'll go back and forth between. Yeah. yeah so the, the ultimate predator and then um, the heads up for, yep. for specific spot and stalking. Yep. Cool. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I think that's great, Chris. That's a good point. Um, you know, Evan and I, have, we already think that way because, I mean, I like stalking is my first instinct. So I'm, I've done that many times, gotten out of a whitetail stand and stalked. But I, I think it's pretty rare. I actually tell people that and they're like, what? Why would you do that? You're going to blow the deer out. And it's, you know, maybe you will, but it's a little different. Yeah, I had a hunter this year during muzzleload season. He, he's texting me. He's like, I see this deer standing in the bean field. 200 yards away or 170 yards away. His, his range for his gun, he only shot 100 yards. I'm like, go get him. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. got, you got all kinds of cover. You only have to go 70 yards. And, and he's like, no, I'm just going to see if he, and if he comes out. And I'm like, man. So I went in there three days later. The guy left with my son. Here's the deer stands up. And I, I didn't send you this, Evan. I need to send you this video. but. Or I did post it. But anyway, so we see the deer. I'm like, Flint, and my son's 12. I'm like, he's got he's got a muzzleloader. I'm like, let's let's it's gonna be a hundred yards of crawling. Let's let's go get him. And sure enough, we get all the way down there and we get within 90 yards of this buck. And I didn't realize at the time I thought he was bedding. The beans were so tall, he was standing, and all you could see was his face and rack. That's how that's how good oh, wow. our soybeans are this year. So we literally had to watch that buck, and not you know ethically we weren't going to take some stupid headshot or something, and just walk walk out of our lives. And we were totally within range. It just never presented a good a good kill shot. But I mean, again, get Dude, out. Those of are stand. like thirteen inch twos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There was there was there was it was probably a hundred and sixty five inch ten pointer. But it was it was awesome. And my, my, my son, like I said, we're transitioning from, from corn pile youth hunting to let's, let's do some things outside the box and things a little more exciting. And, and he was super pumped up. I can't tell you. We, we snuck up there and we army crawled all the way across these beans. Farmer is probably not too appreciative, but it was, it was definitely a great, a great hunt. It is so exciting to crawl within range of a deer. I mean, they, you know, and I, and I say deer because their senses are so acute. You know, when you, when you crawl within bow range of a mule deer or a whitetail, which I've done many times, uh, you know, even whitetail, like Eastern Colorado, we, we, all we do is stalk them, you know, and, uh, it is an absolute blast. Like the feeling, the exhilaration of knowing like anything could, you know, you're 40 yards and anything could screw this up. One little you know, move of your hand, whatever it is. And, and you're on the ground and you're exposed. It's, it's just really exciting. I imagine your son, like you said, he was very stoked. Oh, know. he, and, and it was, it was probably, I think it was a hundred degree heat index that day. <laughs> oh, wow. In the middle of the crawl. <clears throat> you really realize how, how good a shape you're in by then. And, uh, but yeah, he <laughs> you had to crawl a hundred yards in I, the heat. I'll tell you though, he, he's matured <laughs> in such a good, a good manner, like, like he knew that he wasn't taking a shot. Like he's just like, it's just not going to happen. But you know, the, the hunt was so rewarding. And then I got it on video. So it's just like, we have that encounter, you know, and that's almost, you know, it's not always about the kill shot. Like I said, the journey, people just overlook the journey. I, I say this, every, every mount on your wall, whatever that is, skull mount, every antler, it has a story behind it. And so I say, right. you know, how, how do you want to tell that story? You know, and that's where you, you really need to, 
to figure out, you know, how, how your hunting tactics are and how you want to hunt. So on, on that buck, because again, like we mentioned, a lot of guys would hear getting out of their stand to go after a buck as basically whitetail blasphemy, right? Like that's just something you don't do because you don't want to blow them out. You may get another opportunity at them later where if you go after them now, you blow them out, you'll never see them again. That buck, obviously, I mean, a mid-160s, 10, that's a mature buck. What I mean, how did he react to that? Oh, Have he, you got him on camera since? Um, have you seen him since? Oh, yeah. He, he was back out there the, the next night on a cell camera. I mean, he, he didn't even know we were there. But and if it, especially if it's the rut, I'm like, man, that, that buck's there now. Like, he's probably mm-hmm. not going to be there tomorrow. Like, go, go, you know, like, who cares if you screw it up? Like, I, I really don't, I think that time of year, and I'm talking, you know, when they are definitely the first through like the 20th of November, they're definitely distracted. You blow them out, whatever, walk, they might think about it for a little bit, but as soon as they catch that estrus, it's like an eraser, yep. or you get a cold yep. front, you know, it's just an yep. eraser. Well, in the book, in the book I killed last year, um, shot him and he actually, got on to the neighbors and had to go ask to get permission to, you know, go recover him. And they were real good about it. And just, you know, man, congratulations. Yeah. Bring him over, you know, go get him, bring him over to the house. Love to see him. They'd never seen that deer. I'd never seen that deer. And the entire time I spent hunting one other buck had never seen that deer. So like you said, when that rut comes, everything changes. I had a similar, a similar hunt in Manhattan, Kansas. Day after a cold front, this buck comes in. I got some awesome self-video of this deer coming right into a decoy like November 4th or 5th. Six-year-old buck. I shoot him. And I'm like, wow, that, you know, that was a, a 160-inch eight-pointer. So it, it had some mass time. Wow. Yeah. And I walk up to the deer, and I literally did a, a double take like, I know that deer. And I hadn't seen that deer in a year and a half. And he and he was the same huh. size. He was peaked out, like I said, old buck. But it was it was crazy. He had been gone for a full year, no pictures, nothing, and, and here he's back. And that that was just a really cool moment. Chris, what what are you seeing for um, if you find a big that just bringing that brings a thought to my mind because I've I'm hunting Western Kansas, so maybe a little bit different. But my my friends there who've been hunting it for a long time who invited me out they're telling me that if we get a buck on camera on a property that there's a 30% chance we'll see that buck the next year because there's a, well, there's a big four and a half year old that I mean, he's, he's really nice um, that I, I'm tempted to hunt, but I want to let him live. And, and they're telling me, listen, do they're like, if you want this deer, kill it because he, there's a 30% chance we'll, he'll be on this property next year. Now, and I don't know of Western Kansas where it's a lot more spread out and the pockets, the pockets, it's not like woods that they can travel through everywhere. You know, it's mostly ag with small pockets of wooded draws. What are you seeing, you know, and would you agree with that, with that 30% number or is it, is it different in different, uh, I imagine when you have a lot more woods, it's different. Well, I used to get caught up in growing deer and and i've just come to at peace with myself and as an outfitter and and honestly like 
it's a personal choice. Now, if you're on a property where a guy's like, hey, we're going to let this one go this year, that's great. Don't shoot it. But if you like this buck and you're happy with this buck, this is your spot. Harvest the deer. I mean, if you got an opportunity, it's one of them things. Is he going to make it next year? I mean, great. As long as you're at peace with it. I mean, I, I've, I've passed several deer. I've made my kids pass deer. And, you know, it's like, let's just see if he gets another year. And some do, and a lot of them don't. So 30%, I don't know. It, it, it could be less than that, depending on, like you said, the neighbors and the situation. But I, I will say this. Neighbors, especially where I'm at, it's more populated. I'm an hour and a half from Kansas City. There's, there's mm -hmm. 40 acres. There's 20 acres. There's 160 acres. So you got Hunter, maybe two on all those blocks. Western Kansas, more spread out, maybe less cover, but probably less hunters in some certain situations. Yeah. So I don't know what to you, but a neighbor can make or break your property. There's no, no doubt. I mean, they could go in and just kill all the three and a half year olds running around that you're trying to get bigger, a four year old, like you said. But at the end of the day, man, that's just a personal decision with you. It, if you want to try and grow a, a, you know, a Boone and Crockett, it's like you got to let them go or whatever. But I, I don't have the right answer for you. That's a tough call. But if it's your personal best and you want to shoot it and better yourself the next year, go for it. You know, I mean, it just. Yeah, right, right. As long as you have no regrets at the end. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I'm not a big regrets guy. I mean, I, I come home from nearly all my hunts uh, with nothing because I, I pass I pass pretty much anything that's not a giant like that's just how i hunt and that's not whitetail that's everything i hunt across north america um and i never regret that ever ever because i, I love the experience but i'm just like playing the odds like i just want to like i want to play the math here it, you know it, it, i would love to give this deer another year i would love to but not not if there's a low chance i mean for they think the deer move. I don't think we have big neighbor problems, but they think the deer move um, out there, and th that it'll just be in a different wooded draw a, a, a few miles away or whatever, you know. But when they told me that thirty percent number, I started to get an itchy trigger finger. <laughs> well, this would be a good weekend to go take care of it. Yeah, yeah, I know. Now I'm hearing about this red moon and this cold front, and I'm thinking, I don't know about this antelope hunt. <laughs> I mean. That that's that's a million dollar question, but uh, you know, and like I said, I I I probably I'm to the point too where I'm like you. It's like it's okay to let them go. Um, so it's it's like I said, it just seems like at the end of the day, it's just a personal choice. And if you want to let them go, let them try and get another year. Great. That scrape I'm talking about hunting Monday. There's probably a a seventeen point three year old buck on there. Thin. Wow. I mean, just like yep. eight, eight by eight picket fence, all the potential in the world. And I'm just thinking, man, two more years on this guy, he's going to be special. Yeah. Man. And so he's, you know, I, I hope I get him on video. I won't even think about picking up my bow, but man, it'll, it'll be great just to, just to capture him and looking at that water potential. But I played that game of trying to grow deer and I can manage a couple thousand acres in some spots and it, it still doesn't matter. A car might get them, a poacher might get them, you know, yeah. whatever. It just, it, have you had it work out though? Oh yeah. I've, actually, I, the latest one I had, I, I had them on video at two, three, four. Finally, it was year five. We called them the moose buck drop time, probably 200 inches. 
And this was in 2018. And I had the whole Baxter group go missing. It was another drought. I'm almost 100% positive EHD got them. You know, <sighs> and, and, and we, we had that hit 2012 real bad in Eastern Kansas, if you remember. And then a little patch of it in 2018. And, and ever since then, I've looked at rain and, and the whole EHD thing in a whole different light. Like, I never, yeah. I never wish against rain. Now, Western Kansas, I think they're, they're more used to that, right? It's, it's, it, they're not yep. as vulnerable to something like that as Eastern Kansas. But no, but we, we have had some blue tongue or something come through because there's been quite a few dead bucks found. This year, huh? It's unfortunate. unfortunate. This, this year, year. yeah. 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 Yeah, so it is. It, that, that kind of stuff, it scares you when you're, you're, you've been watching deer for a year or two. And, 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 and like you say, all these up-and-comers and – it's, I, but you can't, you can't stress about it. You know, it's like, you just go out and enjoy it and what happens happens, you know? Yeah. You're going to, that moment's going to come and you're either going to be like, I love this moment or I'm going to let him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Evan, you were, um, your, your connection was down for, for most of the call. We're, we're probably going to wrap up here in a, in a little bit here. So what, what questions do you have for Chris before we wrap up the call? I'm hoping I didn't double over anything, but uh, now that Chris, now that we're kind of transitioning into that, that pre-rut and we've especially get the red moon, we've got hopefully cold front coming through here and you're hitting that pre-rut. How are you transitioning your strategies from the early season where you're you're targeting patterned bucks to going into that that searching seeking phase um are you are you moving cameras around trying to see what new bucks are coming into areas um are you either moving or have you pre-prepped spots for bedding versus transitions versus feed like is there is there a strategy shift that you go through this time of year when you start seeing weather change bucks starting to to become you know less patternable um how how does your mindset and your mentality shift around this time of year man i i tell people all the time like morning hunts thick cover get get to close to where they're bedding if, if you want to have some action and then evening hunts you know the food sources you know trying to get them transitioning to food but there's no doubt on a morning hunt halloween week getting into some of those bedding areas or close to it the thick cover them bucks they just feel especially in eastern kansas they feel so safe walking around in that thick cover you know they, they don't want to break the cover as much but in the evening hunt you know the last magical 30 minutes you might catch them on a field edge but that's what i'm doing right now is is i've got I've got morning hunt on the mine in, in thick cover and, and moving, trying to find the scrapes in the thick cover and going to start hunting those this coming week. And like I said, I'm, I'm really pretty jacked up about it. I got a couple guys arriving today and tomorrow, and we're, we're going to get after it with the weather, like you said, the moon, the pre-rut. But right now, it's it's like I said, if you, and for us, when I say thick cover, I mean, it's, it's really getting into where you know because of, of – scouting in the shed season or whatever or you just know that's where the deer are going as the corn as the beans are getting cut they're filtering back up into the bigger timber the crp is cooling off and, and it's just like 
you just got to get in the cover, I think, to have to have more action. Yeah, that's good advice for sure. Yeah. Sorry, I'm sitting here staring at maps already planning morning <laughs> and evening based on cover. Well, and it, it might be different new, out there. New property we picked up, so. Yeah, yep. Any follow-ups on that, Evan? Mm, no, now I have to rethink strategy. Yeah. Well, Chris, I've, I've really enjoyed this, man. I, I especially enjoyed the your thoughts on what you call the pure hunt. I, I think it's really cool. I mean, you just go hunt it like the old days. I mean, you, you no pictures. You just move in. You know it's a good spot. You, you, you know, you know there's activity in the area. I love the idea. You know, it's true. Like, I... I mean, I'm guilty here, I guess. I don't know that I've I've judged a buck on the hoof, you know, that, that I haven't been, that I haven't had on camera, you, you know, in, in, in the last several years. I mean, it's it's like they're all, like I know the bucks, and when I see them, okay, that's the one I'm going to shoot, and that's the one I decided by analyzing pictures that I'm not going to shoot. But I might have shot him if I hadn't seen the pictures, right? So it's it like, I guess your woodsmanship, your judging, everything improves dramatically. Well, not improves, but it's tested. You're putting it on the line, you know? That's really cool. I've had pictures. Guys are like, I don't, I don't want to hunt that deer, 140. But, but, and the deer's a 170. I mean, there, there's, there's deer that yeah, fool right. you on camera. My daughter, so she shot a big deer during black powder. My neighbor was like, hey, we had this call buck come in. You want to take your daughter over there and shoot him? And I'm like, yeah, you know, this guy's a friend, client, whatever you want to call him, and my neighbor. And uh, I'm like, yeah. And I looked at the photo. I'm like, yeah, that, that's a good deer. I mean, it was what I would call a trophy call, if, you, if there's such a thing. Yeah. It, it looked like a 145-inch deer on camera. And this buck steps out. We were hunting over a feeder and uh, my daughter, you know, volleyball, she's a, a junior. I can't believe we actually got out to the blind, but we did. She got off that early, <laughs> you know, like, let's go. And this deer steps out and I went, whoa, <laughs> that ain't no, that ain't no 145 inch deer. And the body, you know, when they, when they're walking those mature bucks and they look like a hog, like a pig, like their guts bouncing. Yeah. It's just, it's so awesome. So I noticed the body first and I'm looking at the mass on the antlers. I'm just like, that's a freaking giant. And <clears throat> she shoots it, drops it, 100 yard shot, the muzzleloader. And I think I put a, a rough tape on it, scored like 167. But it's one of them deer you walk up and you're like, look at the mass on this, you know. And There's nothing like mass. It doesn't show up in the score, but it shows up everywhere else. Yeah, it just, it was a beautiful, heavy, mature buck. And I mean, it was just like, wow. But that just shows you, you know, that, you know, my couple of my buddies are like, go shoot that coal buck. I'm like, all right. <laughs> that's awesome. Good for you guys. Good for you guys. Well, that's, but, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. Honestly, it hadn't really, I hadn't thought of what, you know, what you call the pure hunt. You know, I, I've heard guys say little things like, Hey, I want to go hunt this spot that I don't have any camera just for fun. But, but the idea of actually, you know, giving that a name and, and sort of like wanting to enjoy that experience and label that experience and define it that way. 
I, I mean, I really, I, that was a great takeaway from this call. I, I a highlight for me. I really appreciate that. So it's good stuff. We also have, what we call the semi pure and that's, if you have a bait okay. station. Maybe that's a good uh, <laughs> bait station, but no camera. <laughs> pure, semi-pure, and then there's bait. <laughs> yeah, that's funny, dude. That's really funny. Well, I've got a couple of great great spots that I know are good rut corridors that um, I'm going to sit this year. I have, I have no cameras out. I just know there's a lot of deer there. I'm going to go sit them this year. That I, I think uh, that's pretty awesome. Appreciate that. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, it, was, it was a pleasure. And, Chris, thanks so much for joining us. And, um, you know, I uh, we appreciate you shooting Hoyt. And um, we didn't even get into your setup and all that, but maybe maybe on the next time. Anytime. Just let me know. This was fun.